Hi, this is Gene Shalit. I'm having a bad hair day. If you don't believe me, look out the window. Kevin present a show where we discuss various uh, short-term television shows. Uh, it's a brand new year, and we're exploring this new concept once again, uh, entitled Cancelled Too Soon. Each month, we'll discuss a show. Uh, this month, we are going to discuss the two seasons and 23 episodes of The Critic. My name is Jerome Cusan. I'm one of the co-hosts. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at... Jerome C1985. I have seen The Critic many times at this point. We are part of the Real World Podcasting Network, a network that also includes Pantheon Plus. There will be movies, Flipping the Pig, and in the archives, Real Bad, Mars Investigated, and from Broadcast Depth. Please leave a five star review on your favorite podcasting platforms Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, so as to help people discover the great work that we are doing here at The Real World. My co-host is Kevin Ford. He has also uh, seen The Critic. I'm sure he's seen some episodes at least multiple times. Uh, Similar to last month, as this is a much-discussed show, this show is almost 30 years old at this point. Uh, We'll focus on characters and themes instead of doing an episode-by-episode recap. And Kevin, based on our uh, exchange of messages and whatnot, I think that's probably for the best because... Uh, Kevin, the thing that I learned while watching this show is that, you know, when you go back and dip back into the past, uh, sometimes things don't age as well as uh, maybe you once thought the show was really hilarious and really great. And then you go back and you realize um, there there's some problems here. I have some notes. Which I which is interesting because I can't think of any particular episode we've done of this show or any other iterations where it's been over overly negative or very so blatantly aged poorly but i this is also one of the older things we've touched as well yeah for sure i mean we've probably been the most negative perhaps on the third season of veronica mars like that's the only time but even then i think that there were still some there's still some positive things and there's still some positive things here as well i mean there's certainly moments when i was laughing but even though this was 23 episodes, the episodes are about 22 and a half minutes apiece. I definitely struggled at times with getting through this because there was a lot of repetition. There was a lot of kind of the same kinds of jokes being made. And what's fascinating is that you do have many of the people who are associated with The Simpsons, in fact. You've got Al Jean and Mike Reese, who are the showrunners of the critic who have been on the Simpsons before Uh, there were a couple of Simpsons writers who were also on the critic as well. uh, Some of the directors. So you have some of the pieces, but it just, it doesn't feel as whole and as complete 
and as universal perhaps as the Simpsons, especially though, especially at this time, because at the same time, this, these two seasons of the critics are airing, you maybe have like peak Simpsons as well. That, and I also, and this is something that I noticed from the season changes is season one is relentlessly cynical. There's so many jokes about Jay being fat. So many jokes about, Jay going after women and being horny and there's like never any redemption for him. You wonder why anyone in his life even likes him. There's no heart to it all. And that the Simpsons is always very much grounded on the fact that Homer loves his wife. He loves his family. And even if he's a dope, he's more or less doing his best at all times. And he makes mistakes, but usually he learns from those mistakes even if it's just for an episode. There's really not any of that in season one at all. It's just fat joke, horny joke, bleakness for his future, and there's just nothing to really ground it. It's just, it, there's no, there, there's very little, if any, positivity in the in the season, and you're just like, this doesn't, like, it doesn't make me, like, feel very good watching this. What am, Why am I doing? Like, yeah, there's laughs with some of the movie parodies and stuff, but... With season two, with him getting a relationship, and I think they kind of give it a little bit more heart in that season as well. More fleshing out of relationships with family and, and things like that, where in the first season, there's very little, like, you 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 get the understanding of what his relationships are with the people and his family members, but they aren't explored whatsoever. So um, I think that was part of the issue, too. Yes, I would agree. Uh, there, there were a lot of fat jokes made throughout. And, I mean, that's something that in 1993, 4 and 5 was acceptable, but that's just not something that uh, – and it still happens. Like, I don't want to make it seem like it doesn't. I mean, but I just think it's, it's, it's much more noticed and commented upon, and I think that's kind of where – that's where some of the issues come in. And then even with the second season, instead of so many fat jokes, then you're getting jokes about Jay Sherman being gay. And it's like every single episode. And the thing is that, yes, the Simpsons does have episodes where Homer is being a dope, but that's not every episode. Like even in the Simpsons, you focus on maybe there's a Marge episode or a Lisa episode and Homer's maybe put to the side or, not as as much of a part of the episode to where you can kind of hide the fact that Homer's being a dope because he's more in a supporting role. Whereas when you have a show called The Critic, you really only have kind of the one major character and every everything that you're doing is through the lens of Jay Sherman. So even when you do have an episode that focuses on his son or his sister or his mother, it's always seen through the lens of this character and the same is true even of season two uh when you start exploring his relationship with alice like even when duke runs for president like that's a very duke heavy episode but so much of it is seen through uh the lens of one uh jay sherman i was saying even in the simpsons like you might get ah homer fat joke an episode this is just a way higher concentration of it like five or six per episode every episode and some of them are funny. I'm not going to say they're not. But, yeah, just what, when you're watching it, especially in the format like we do, like, uh, you know, however many in a row, you're like, all right, this is this is a lot. Well, and I think part of I think part of it, I'll give a specific example that I think really gets to the problem 
with the show. And this is a network TV show, so we have to keep that in mind. But I think part of the issue is, so there is a very specific joke where Jay Sherman is going through the floor because he's so fat, the weight of the floor literally cannot sustain him. So he's kind of falling through floors. And then there's a point when Rush Limbaugh, who is a former conservative talk show radio host, is also doing the same thing. So eventually you get to a point when Rush Limbaugh has fallen. And I think that is specifically... The Rush Limbaugh thing specifically is a problem because here you have this this person who is just an awful human being who says really terrible things about Chelsea Clinton at the time. And like, especially in the 90s, like when conservative radio was at its peak, I mean, the way the conservatives get their message across has evolved now. But back then, Rush Limbaugh was a really important, a big deal. But instead of talking about like just how terrible of a person he is, you're calling him out for being fat. And it's like that specifically is a is a moment when I'm like, you can make you could say something really interesting or you could just do something like this. Whereas The Simpsons had an episode uh, with Sideshow Bob. And they had kind of an allegory to Rush Limbaugh. And they may, I think they did a much better job of making the point of how bad Republicans and conservatives can be instead of just saying, oh, Rush Limbaugh is fat. Totally. So, yeah, it was, they didn't just, I I guess it's good that they saved it for Jay and then take down everybody with it. But that just goes to show you the laziness that comes with it with Jay. So I do want to go over the important creatives again, just because I think we did it with Freaks and Geeks, and there are a number. There's even one crossover as well. Uh, James L. Brooks is one of the executive producers. I don't believe that he has as much to do with the creative, but I think for so many people, he is probably best known for being kind of a name that you see at the end of The Simpsons. And he is definitely one of the most important producers in the history of Hollywood. The man is 82 years old as we are recording this. And while he has directed a couple of movies, he's probably best known for television work. I mean, think about this, Kevin. He has, he, he wrote and show ran shows like Mary Tyler Moore, Taxi, Uh, Then he would go on to direct Terms of Endearment, as good as it gets, two very financially successful and award-winning films. Uh, He is the man behind Gracie Films, which produces The Simpsons and also produced The Critic as well. So James L. Brooks is such an important creative, and I know that he is somebody that a lot of younger fans of The Simpsons or The Critic may not be as aware of, but he is he is really an important figure. Seems like he he probably was seen by many in the industry as someone with that golden touch. So then you have Al Jean and Mike Reese, who were the showrunners. They they wrote for The Tonight Show, Alf, and most prominently The Simpsons. Uh, they show ran a season together. Al Jean still runs The Simpsons as a showrunner. Uh, to this day, and uh, given what I saw in The Critic, maybe that's why The Simpsons, I mean, look, The Simpsons running 30 years is ultimately why it's still a problem, but I don't know. I mean, this definitely made me recontextualize, perhaps, what, what are the, one of the downfalls of The Simpsons, perhaps. Well, that, and I wonder, like, to me, it kind of feels like 
Okay, so this is going concurrently with The Simpsons. Obviously, Simpsons is the breadwinner and is going to get the time and attention. And critics seems like they're dumping ground for like the jokes that like the randomness and the jokes that they couldn't get away with on The Simpsons. And that's what the critic became. And it almost made me think of like what we think of like with like when they talk about Russo and WCW, like WWF has the filter. WCW does not. One of those outputs is a lot better because of it. And I wonder if that's the case with The Simpsons and the critic here. Well, and also with all the pop culture references and kind of the sidebars to various movies, I think a lot of people would make the comparison to Family Guy as well. Definitely. I feel, it, it almost feels like Critic walks so Family Guy could run sort of instance here. But even then, like, we forget that, like, Family Guy wasn't a success when it started. It found its new life on DVD, and that's when it became successful. But so I don't know if that's necessarily like a one to one comparison of like of saying that. But. Yeah, it, it got refined and popularized in Family Guy, that that sort of joke telling for sure. Uh, so also the two of the directors, David Silverman and Rich Moore, they are legendary animation directors with The Simpsons. And Rich Moore specifically has gone on to direct as part of uh, Disney. So just wanted to mention them. The theme music composer is Hans Zimmer. So I, I feel contractually obligated to mention that, and uh, a lot of the music is done by Alf Clausen, who also was the composer for The Simpsons. So once again, more Simpsons crossover. I really love the theme song. I think it's a it's a great classical piece. I think both versions of the songs I think are really good. I do too, and and it made me realize I'm definitely I was definitely more familiar with the season two version than the season one when watching it back. See, it's interesting because I'm the opposite. I'm more familiar with the season one uh, than the season two. So it's it's funny how that worked out. And I want to end by talking about Judd Apatow. Uh, Judd Apatow, I I don't know that this was his first job, but maybe one of his first prominent jobs. I uh, I know for sure he did the Ben Stiller show, which came before this. That was that was like his first quote big job, I believe, on television. So he got two writing credits for the critic, and I think in many ways he is either. He is right now kind of the next James L. Brooks, or he is that is what he is going to be. I think you're going to see him producing a lot more than directing, I would say. Oh, definitely. Like we talked about this, I think, in that episode where you get the people who go from being creatives to people who help put other works out. We talked about it with like him, Kevin Smith, Dr. Dre, those types uh, where they go from creating their own stuff to producing their producing other people's stuff. And I think you're right. I think that's. That's the future for Judd Apatow, for sure. Uh, so let's talk about some of the things that work, um, because I do think that there are some positive things to say. I, I don't think you, I don't think anybody else could have played Jay Sherman besides John Lovitz. I think this is probably, outside of SNL, this is probably the best thing he's ever done. I don't, I'm not a huge John Lovitz guy, especially like I can't think of a single movie. I know he's done some guest spots on like Friends and News Radio and stuff like that. And I think he's been kind of up or down on those. But John Lovitz is one of those SNL performers that I'm not like, Kevin, I have to see the ne- next John Lovitz project. Like, he's not Bill Murray. He's not Dan Aykroyd. But I think this role specifically caters to his skill set. And, like, I know that he did has done a number of episodes of The Simpsons. I know he did this show. But it seems like voiceover was so so much better for him. So I'll say you even put in SNL, I still say his critic stuff is the best thing he's ever done. And I think part of it is because he's not so overly John Lovitz. 
Like, I think there's a caricature or kind of a put on he does when he's doing a lot of his stuff, both on SNL and in real life. And I feel like either just in other shows, the way he's portrayed or just a reputation of being a little bit cynical later in life. And I think this is this is his best output because he's he's John Lovitz, uh, but sort of diluted from his over the top stuff and both his cynical stuff coming together in the best output possible. Uh, and it's it's wonderful. Like Jay Sherman is a great character. Fat jokes and all that stuff may go to a bit of an extreme, but it definitely like you look at. I think if you looked at the overall output of movies and stuff that John Lovitz has done, not great. But I think if you look at this, you can understand like, oh, there is a very talented person somewhere in there. One of my favorite voiceover moments do you remember when uh, Jay Sherman is working out and he's got uh, the the device between his legs? And yeah, the thigh master. Do, he uses the thigh master and his he ends up doing an accidental split. The noise that he makes <laughs> makes me laugh every single time. It's very good. Um, and like some of the noises that he makes are pretty funny too. And uh, who doesn't love "Buy My Book"? I mean, that might be one of the most iconic things from this show that I still see in memes today. So my dad is an academic and he's also written a, a, another, a, a book related to sports to this day. When he talks about them, he'll reference by my book as whatever marketing or whatever he's trying to do to, to accomplish his goals. So, and I swear to you, he has not seen a single second of the critic since he saw this episode back in 94 or 95 and it's still in his brain. So that says it all. So your father's writing books and you're doing podcasts, huh? Yeah, yeah. We uh two divergent paths, it looks like. I would say so. Uh I think some of the some of the humor about films and being prescient about franchising because all the jokes they make about are about sequels. So I think that that actually probably works better now than even it did in nineteen ninety-four. I don't know kind of what your feelings are on that, but you know, I think that Especially when you get to LAJ and they're talking about ghost chasers, which is, I think, supposed to be a, a direct link to Ghostbusters in some way, even though there's also a Ghostbusters 3. Right. You definitely get a sense of kind of where Hollywood is going in terms of movie making. And the LAJ episode specifically gets into that. And I think that's one of the big strengths of it. It's which is fascinating because I think the weaknesses are that they don't really get into kind of what it means to actually be a film critic. But I do think that they explore some interesting stuff when it comes to uh, movie making and franchising. Yeah, more nuance would have been nice, but it definitely feels like they want to hit you over the head with the jokes. Like, how many jokes can we pack in to an episode? How ridiculous can we make the dad? How ridiculous can we make these people that Jay interacts with? Uh, that's where the focus is. But I do think maybe with a little more time, you would have gotten some more of that uh, more of more of that nuance with what it means to be a critic and some other things and, and uh, some more inside knocks on Hollywood. But it isn't as if they didn't have 23 episodes to get some of that stuff in. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but there's definitely some jokes in there that uh, you realize, like, all right, some pe so there's some scuttlebutt in Hollywood that they're making subtle jabs at. Uh, for example, Conan getting replaced by a dancing chicken was all was a was a good joke. I don't know that it because there was a time when Conan O'Brien 
Um, Kevin, I don't know if you realize this, but there was a time when people questioned whether Kevin could host or whether Conan could host a late night show or have success. Uh, and they were always threatening to replace him. I don't know if that rings familiar or sounds familiar to you. Well, it only happened in the 90s, right? It never happened again. Uh, that's right. It did not happen when he took over the Tonight Show. That That is definitely true. Famously still on the Tonight Show today. Isn't it? Isn't it crazy to think that it just it boggles my mind that Conan just wasn't allowed to continue hosting the Tonight Show, and now Jimmy Fallon is hosting the Tonight Show, and he's terrible at it. There you go. God. And now, uh, now, well, you know what? Now Conan gets to do whatever the hell he wants. It feels like so. I hope he's. Got, I hope he's got the fuck you money. That's that's all. I, I do too. Uh, so. So Jay does go to Los Angeles. Uh, Fox causing brain damage. I almost fell out of my seat when I saw that joke because it's not well. It's not Fox the network, but Fox News legitimately is causing brain damage. Legitimately, like this is the, there is a straight line between what Fox News does to people and what ends up happening to people. And it's not just because they get COVID because they don't get vaccinated. It's just because of the mentality and, and how things are. So uh, they couldn't have seen Fox news back then, but boy, they nailed it. Yeah. It's, it's literal brain poison with Fox news. But what's interesting is like Simpsons took the jabs at Fox while on Fox, but the critic was not on Fox, right? The first season of The Critic, what if you notice they make fun of Fox in the first season and then they make fun of ABC in the second season? That's mm-hmm. that's kind of how it works. Got it. Okay. Because ABC canceled them. So, of course, they're going to make a bunch of jokes <laughs> about ABC. Got it. Okay. I, I did miss that. This is a joke. So, of course, I'm rewatching the episodes and there is a joke in here that I had never noticed before. And I was I was shocked. By the fact that they got away with this. So there is uh, Jay's sister is about to go and uh, to a debutante ball. And uh, she is asked whether she can wear white with because the idea is that she is a virgin and you can only wear you can only wear white if you're a virgin because patriarchy. But she makes a, a reference to only being able to wear off white gloves and I could not believe that they got away with a handjob joke on network TV in 1994. Yeah, that is, uh, I definitely did not notice that either, but it reminds me of, there's a joke. Uh, I forget exactly what the joke is, but there's something like that in Clueless where it's like, oh, it's like, oh, I'm te- it's like one of them. I, I think it's D says she's technically a virgin virgin. And you're like, you know, it's obviously hinting towards something. But that's a movie that's not on network television. So it's like same time period, but way more bold to be doing it on network television. I also really like the animation style. I think there's just something about hand hand done animation that I really respond to, even though that really isn't a thing anymore because everything is on computers. But I think just the tactile nature of it, like I know it's not perfect. I know that sometimes shots might look off or. You know, the lips might not quite match what they're saying sometimes, but I'm just a really big fan of of 2D animation. And it's a shame that we don't really have it on TV or in movies anymore. I agree with you. Yeah, there's something about it like sometimes it looks too perfect, like it looks too clean. But yeah, like even in early Simpsons, there's something where like a character's head will move when they're saying something and it doesn't match. But there's a there's definitely a charm to it. 
like there feels like oh a real human being did this and not a computer that i like but maybe we're just old i don't know uh we are old kevin that's that what no i'm not i have the same age as jay sherman on this show and i just want to go in a rocking chair and die i thought you were going to say you're the same age as james l brooks which i would have believed <laughs> thanks thanks buddy uh mentioned the theme songs Something I genuinely appreciate is that Jay has a good relationship with his son, and it is in no way a Hillmore Bart or even Homer Lisa dynamic. Like, they genuinely love each other, care for each other, want to do what's best for each other, and they don't really put a lot of drama behind, oh, Jay's son is a bad kid, or Jay doesn't like his son, or there's some sort of a disconnect. Like, he does not like his ex-wife, and his ex-wife does not like him, but it never is put upon their relationship and i genuinely think that that's something you don't get enough of on tv is good father-son relationships so i i really appreciated this i think this is a huge positive and something i liked and i kind of wish we had gotten more of their interactions on the show i agree yeah that that was a very admirable quality to this show is there's never like i feel like if this were uh today uh, and this is something else that I really like about it. It's like, while Jay is a film critic and many people consider that a dream job, like it's still very much a job to him and he hates it because it's a job. And it, and, but I think today it would be like, oh, I'm going to miss my son's big recital or play or whatever. Cause I got to go to this movie thing or whatever. And they just never touch that at all. And I feel like Jay Sherman would rather go see his son's thing and bail on whatever stupid job commitment he has, which I feel like is way more real than, uh, a lot of shows today would showcase and it would have been so easy to have the single father be the lazy incompetent one uh, or just feel like their son is a burden or whatever. And they never get in that territory and it's super appreciated. They even have Jay bring his son to certain screenings as well. Yeah, like that's his that's his date. It's fun and it's super great. I, I like it. Who does the voice of him? Is it is it Pam Adlon? Um, I don't know. I think it's someone else. I don't think it's Pamela Adlon. Okay, sounds very much like her. Uh, one of my, fa- I think one of my favorite movie parents is actually when uh, Marty uh, they bring her to the theater and they see the red balloon too, and the Alan Rickman like character says the red balloon's going to become the dead balloon. I don't know why that made me laugh so much, but I did because I'm a simple man with simple pleasures. Uh, the other thing that I like is I like the exploration of a relationship between uh, Jay and Alice because I think it really does ground the show. I think I've seen the Fox version of the show continue on because I think they kind of they definitely it definitely was repetitive, but I definitely think it was in a better place and I think it was a much more watchable show in those final ten episodes because you had Jay at least there was some hope for him. Yes. I, uh, I really liked the relationship with Alice and I, I think the Alice character was, uh, was pretty well rendered because she is very different from Jay, but she's again, also not like Marge. Um, she definitely is a little more frazzled and definitely not as put together, but that is appreciated. The fact that I think the show, which I think, I think they almost Homer, they made Jay Homer, a little too closely at times, but I think in almost every other way, they did a really good job of keeping this dynamic very different from the Simpsons. Yeah. There's definitely absurd moments with Jay, but at, at the core, he's a real person. His son is a real person. Alice is a real person. Like these are real grounded characters living in New York, just trying to get by. Um, 
and their lives together are a little less terrible. Um, and even like, you know, getting, I like then her sister appears in the, in the ultimate penultimate, however you want to put it episode. And like, she's je- even though she's pretty and all this stuff, like she's jealous of Alice because of the grounded nature of her life and stuff like that, which I, which I enjoy too. So yes, I think her Alice entering the picture makes Jay more whole, more bearable and gives them a lot more stuff to play with and it. And it makes season two feel to me a lot stronger than season one. And of course that's when the show ends going back to what I was saying though, about the voice acting, it was Christine Cavanaugh who did hit the sun. And she also did like babe. She did Dexter on Dexter's laboratory. I think she did Chucky Finster on the Rugrats. And I had no idea she passed away in 2014. That's from, crazy. Wow. From, from, un, from unknown causes. So that's wild. Rest in peace. Uh, this, this, uh, these two seasons. There is also an episode that has a very good tribute uh, to Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, who are two legendary film critics. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that they they are Chicago critics. Gene Siskel wrote for the Tribune. Uh, Roger Ebert wrote for the Chicago Sun Times. So they were a, a big deal in Chicago, but they were also a big deal nationally. And I think because of the inundation of film podcasts and film YouTube, I don't think people appreciate the fact that there was really there was really a time before the Internet when it was hard to get good film criticism. And you had these two critics who had their own syndicated show that aired every week. And every time you get the reason that we have the thumbs up and the thumbs down is because of Siskel and Ebert. And they actually owned the trademark to that which I think is pretty funny and um, a good business strategy on their part. And this is the only time in any movie or TV show where in a fictional TV show, I should say, because uh, they were staples of late night on the tonight show, David Letterman, all those places they would go on. But this is the only time in a fictional TV show or movie where Siskel and Ebert actually played themselves. And it was uh, it was nice to see them, and unfortunately, uh, Gene Siskel passed in 1999. Roger Ebert passed in 2011. So this this kind of stands is kind of something that people uh, can remember them by. And Kevin, I'm not sure what your awareness of Siskel and Ebert are, but all I could say is these two with their show, their various versions, they basically invented movie podcasts. And whether you see that as a positive or a negative thing, that's kind of what they did. Yeah, I know they were what, you know, basically my whole life, they were huge. I remember seeing in commercials for movies, they would tell you, you know, they always will give you snippets of what critics are saying, but I would say like, you know, Siskel and Ebert, give it two thumbs up. I even feel like in the days where you would get your movie times from the newspaper, uh, sometimes they would tell you like what the Siskel and Ebert score was next to the movie as like a judgment guide. And then when I would get into like late high school into college and stuff, Roger Ebert had his own website and he was still reviewing movies and I would read those all the time. And it was sort of like, all right, if he's given this a good review or some attention, it's probably worth checking out which I think is how how critical pieces should be read is you find an author who you tend to jive with and then that's probably somebody you can follow as like a, a good baseline of like, all right, if they if they like it, there's a good chance I'm going to like it. It's never going to be 100 percent, but I think it's a, it's a good way to follow. It. And that's what Roger Ebert was to me in those days. Um, like his passing was super sucky. I just they're like, I don't think with the way things are just with technology and things like that. Like you're going to get a person like that 
again. You might get an, you know, you might get an Alan Seppenwall or someone like that. But I think someone with the gravitas or Siskel and Ebert, just you may not find that again. I mean, you st- you like I said, you have a lot of movie podcasts. You have a lot of movie t- YouTubers, but that's different. Everything, just like in real TV and real movies, like everything is so disparate. And in some ways, that's a good thing because maybe it is easier for you to find someone, an author that you connect with and can uh, can look at. But also, you might get yourself into a comfort zone and just read that author and not read other viewpoints, too, which also comes back to the Fox News conversation. So I think that's that's part of it as well, because Siskel and Ebert were so powerful and they really did care. They're, they're, what they said and what they did uh, really did carry a lot. So it was it was nice that even in this short run that they were able to kind of pay tribute to two critics who were. Uh, so important but yeah I, I think the episode itself is probably one of the stronger ones too I agree and I even appreciate that they like throw in Gene Shalit and I think even maybe Leonard Malton gets a shout out in there at some point yeah the, Gene Shalit gets a couple of references and uh, Leonard Malton and Rex Reed and and people of that nature so they definitely uh, Jimmy Breslin who is a legendary uh, New York writer uh, as well also I believe Jimmy Breslin actually did his own voice a couple of times, which is, which is pretty amazing in its own right. So yeah, there's, they definitely pay tribute to some of some more, let's say obscure New York centric people as well, uh, because they make reference to former mayor at Koch as well. I don't think he actually did his own voice, but that's another thing about the show is that it is very New York centric. And I mean, there is literally a joke where somebody makes reference to I'm walking here. Like literally that is something that happens on the show. Uh, and they do that again in the in the critic uh, in the Simpsons episode of Stars Burns, where Jay Sherman is a film critic for a festival and the plane lands and almost collides with another plane. He's like, yeah, I'm flying here. Uh, and then and Duke running for president seems um, uh, Duke would win. Actually, now that's that's what would happen, because people would appreciate his straightforward nature. And uh, he would have won in 2016. Probably. Totally. And I saw a great tweet the other day that was like, what I'm learning from this is that in if people got bit by a zombie, they would absolutely hide their zombie bites. You know, I used to be the person who, when I watched horror movies, I would always be like, well, that person's really dumb. That would never happen. And as it turns out, Kevin Ford, I was very, very wrong. So wrong. How could, how could we have been so wrong? How could we have had such faith? I could never, I will never be able to criticize a movie for being too dumb again. Never. Ever. Like, in fact, I will probably be able to say, like, even a movie like Armageddon, I would say, is too smart for people because <laughs> they actually went to go and destroy the asteroid. Right. What doesn't work? We talked about the fat jokes, the gay jokes. I don't really feel like, unless you have anything else to say, I don't really think we need to say any more. No, I just, I, I can't express just how relentless they are with those jokes. Like, you really got to watch it to be like, oh, wow, this is, this is a lot. Well, especially if you're binging it, like you might not notice it in a 20 minute episode. Yeah. But if you're watching like four or five episodes in a row, then you're definitely going to see it, especially season two with the gay jokes. Like it especially becomes much more noticeable because it wasn't there in season one and now in season two because they're on Fox. I guess it's okay. There is a lot of very surface level jokes, and I think that is definitely something that I noticed. And I think the surface level part of it they don't really explore the idea of what it means to be a film critic. Like Jay just hates everything except foreign movies, which 
Like, that's a perspective you can have, but I don't think it's very interesting. And I think they lighten him up a little bit in season two, like he does like a little bit more. But especially in season one, like, he just hates everything. And that is, like, nobody would watch that. Like, if he just hated everything, people wouldn't watch it. Like, Siskel and Ebert, they certainly tore movies apart. And they certainly gave very negative reviews. But, I mean, Roger Ebert was also the person who would give three stars to something like the Avengers or like he really liked Jaws and Star Wars and things like that. And like Siskel and Ebert, like Rocky four, like one of their biggest arguments they ever had was about Rocky four, because I believe it was Siskel that liked it and Ebert hated it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the issue. And, you know, film criticism has changed so much because everybody is, you know, freelancing and, and doing, um, writing for multiple publications. So the life of a critic, I think, is so much more different now. But it just feels like they never really explored the idea of what it means to be a film critic. And I think that's kind of a lost opportunity. And even today, I don't think you get a lot of that. Like, film critics are just bad. And I think that's really boring because, I mean, of course, creatives are going to say that. But, like, I think there's a lot of nuance to what it means to be a film critic or a restaurant critic or a TV critic, and it's just people never have any interest in exploring that. Yeah, definitely not. It, it's, uh, but I think, and I think that's why I think the first, like I, I mentioned the relentless cynicism of season one is because he just hates everything. And it's like, if someone just hates everything, that's not going to be a critic you admire. It's someone who's honest and you're going to get those. Like, yeah, it's fun to watch the, uh, the the pictures that are torn apart, torn asunder, but also the praise and then the uh, the the friction between the hosts is what makes it so good. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on all those points. Uh, the popularity of Jay Sherman is also never clear. Like, how is he? So his salary in 1993 money is two hundred seventy one thousand dollars. That's what's mentioned at one point. In terms of like 2022 money, that's about $500,000, which that is not cheap. And if his ratings are as bad as the show constantly is referencing, how is he able to stay on the air? Like, that's one of the biggest questions that I was trying to ask myself. And like, there are times when like he wins two, he wins the Pulitzer Prize at one point that gets mentioned like he is also the centerpiece of a, of an Academy Awards tribute to film critics, but yet nobody's watching. Like I just, there is, I just, I never get a sense of how popular Jay Sherman actually is. Well, so it's that damn Humphrey, the hippo getting in his way. Uh, that would, that that's, that's a very funny payoff to that because in the end they, he ends up um, boinking the, uh, the, the woman behind her. The, I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny actually. Yes. Definitely. It is an example of Jay, Hor Jay being horny, but yeah. It's a good payoff. Uh, the awful clip, like the finale was so bad. Can we just talk about that for a second? Sure, like, yes. That you had clip show. It was basically a clip show. All the movie parodies were put in this last episode. Milton Berle was like a ninja. It was just, it left a very sour taste in my mouth. So what's the story behind that? Did they know they were getting canceled and just phoned it in for the last one? I don't know what the story is. I, I probably should have listened to the commentary, at least for this one specifically, be, because I'm sure that that may have played into it. 
but what a weak way. Like, it feels like with Freaks and Geeks, there was an ending. With this one, it wasn't, like, yes, it's the 10th anniversary show, but it didn't feel like an ending. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm doing some some reading here. On April 21st, 1995, the New York Daily News report on incident revolving around the episode's airing in response to Wednesday's terrorist bombing in Oklahoma City. Fox has pulled the episode of The Critic that had been scheduled to air this Sunday night. Decided instead to be insensitive, try to get laughs from such an image now, notwithstanding its comedic context. Instead, all the Duke's men will run 8.30 on Sunday night. So maybe this never aired. Oh, yeah, perhaps that is that makes a lot of sense. So that means, I guess, the technical on screen finish. Well, let's see. Hmm. It may have aired later, but all the Duke's men would have been a much better or Dukerella, whichever it's called, would have been a much better ending. Yeah, it's weird because you got back to back Duke episodes, which is something else the Simpsons always did a good job of, like not having back to back episodes focusing on the same supporting character. But yeah, that's really uh, that's really interesting. And I mean, I think there are times when the show does do a clever job of referencing movies without directly referencing them. Specifically, Ducarella is very much an homage to a streetcar named Desire, and you know, you get Duke when he's running for president in the Colonel Jessup role and a few good men. So you definitely get some movie shout outs that are not as blatant as um, like when they make reference to Ghostbusters three or scent of a woman or Jack Nicholson playing chicken, things like that. Like they definitely have their go-to actors and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. Who is your favorite supporting character, Kevin? Oh, supporting character. I'm going to go with kind of a dark horse pick. Someone we haven't mentioned once, but I would go with Doris, his, uh, hair and makeup lady big fan of her their episode is very sweet and it's it's a shame that it doesn't really get explored after that episode but i i i I really like the fact that those two got along for an episode and it wasn't just them being bitchy at each other yeah that actually i know the next thing you're asking is favorite episode not taking into account some like the bigger ones like the roger Ebert one or laj i actually think man the la episodes are really great in the show uh that doris episode is definitely i think up there with one of my favorites yeah, the Doris episode is is definitely up there, the Ducarella episode. And yeah, I definitely think those are some of the strong ones. LAJ is probably my definitive favorite on this rewatch. I think it's got the some of the best jokes. You've also got Billy Crystal doing a voiceover. And I, I pointed this out to Kevin. I, I surprised him and myself by saying this, but Jay Sherm or Billy Crystal never did a voice on The Simpsons. Yeah, that's like wild that. to me that he did one on the critic, but not this. And I also we talked about the buy my book episode. That's miserable, which is basically a misery parody with uh, film projectionist who loves Jay. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I don't think it's high art, but I definitely no. think it's it it serves its purpose and is is a nice homage and has the nice payoff with buy my book and just how that works. <laughs> and Jay Sherman actually seeing it and uh, him being threatened with a gun. I thought that was uh, that was very good. So good. And what about you? What's your favorite side character? Uh, my favorite side character is probably Duke, especially on this rewatch, like just always present. And uh, Charlotte, Charles Cyphers is a great, a great choice uh, for this specific role. But I couldn't help but wonder, like, what if we got a live action critic with uh, with Bo- like someone like Bobby Moynihan playing Jay Sherman and Nick Offerman playing the Duke? And now I just want to see Nick Offerman as the Duke. So that is something interesting to consider, though. Like, do you think this 
and I guess I just equate both of those guys with like, especially like Parks and Rec finding its life on streaming and stuff. But do you think the critic would in a, in the streaming day and age would have found a second life or gotten a longer run? I absolutely, because I think the movie parodies alone would have been gift and memed to death. So I definitely think this show would have found, I think if this show had started, I think if this show comes out like five or six years later and finds a second life on DVD earlier, I actually think it would have come back on something like Comedy Central uh, because I know the episodes actually got very popular on Comedy Central for a while there. But I think the other problem that the critic has right now is their corporate owners are Sony. So the show aired on ABC, but it's not owned by Disney. It wasn't owned by Fox. It's owned by Sony. Sony, the only streaming service that they have is Crackle and nobody watches Crackle. So (laughs) bringing this show back would be a near impossibility unless Sony gets bought out by somebody, which that could certainly happen. Like there are a lot of rumors about what Sony may or may not be doing and the possibility of their entertainment division eventually being sold off because their problem is again, they don't have a streaming service like Peacock does like universal as Peacock Paramount has Paramount plus Disney has Hulu and Disney plus and ESPN plus. So all these different, places have services sony doesn't have that so at some point they're probably going to have to sell their entertainment division and their library where that goes nobody knows but the critic you're probably not going to see like the critic is actually very hard to find on dvd right now because sony is a corporate owner and i would imagine if disney owned them then they might even try to reboot the critic at some point but yeah, that's kind of where we're at. So Sony being the corporate owner of the critic, I'm sure is one of the main reasons why it has not returned uh, since two, because they did some short webisodes in 2000, 2001, which are not even worth discussing. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. All right. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair assessment. All right, Kevin. Uh, so this is definitely going to be one of our shorter episodes. I, I, I said to Kevin, I'm like, we are, this is on a one hour time limit because <laughs> there really isn't, there really isn't a lot to talk about. I think we highlighted some of the positives, some of the negatives, but that's really about it. Kevin, any final thoughts? Yeah. Like just not as it's it, you, you suspect a better show from, from people who work on something like the Simpsons. It's just not as meaty or, um, wholesome or or fulfilling as as a simpsons is it kind of feels like they were getting somewhere in season two right when it got canceled but i would say like if you ask me is this a good show i would say yes would i say it's a musty show i would say definitely not um and i definitely think it's it's maybe worse binge than it is just watching it on occasion you know i'm glad we covered it I and I and I would say for that reason where I feel like they were fi- finally kind of figuring things out before it got canceled that it can count as being canceled too soon, um, especially jumping from one war- network to another and all this. It might have just been like a little bit ahead of its time, uh, but I do feel like it, I I would say it was definitely canceled too soon. I would say it's maybe something worth watching every so often. I don't feel like I'm going to watch it again for a long time. But I do think you can see the DNA of the critic spread across a lot of shows today. Certainly. I think there was in the 1990s when The Simpsons was a success, you got a lot of animated shows 
in the early 90s that came from this. And then in the late 90s, again, you got South Park and Family Guy, which are two two shows that are airing to this day. But there were also a number of kind of failed projects as well. Uh, that came out in the late 90s as as people were trying to explore animation. But now, because of COVID and because of the pandemic, Kevin, you're seeing a lot more animated projects again. And I think part of it is because of Rick and Morty. I think that has certainly spawned new interest in animation. But also, like, Fox is still very much in the animation game. They have The Simpsons. They have... Uh, the Great North, they have Bob's Burgers, they have Family Guy, which still airs to this day again. So animation is definitely something that's still very popular. And you've got a number of shows because you can record voices remotely. So it's it's kind of pandemic-proof in that way. I don't know the the dynamics of production with how animation is done now. But I would imagine that it might be easier because you don't have a bunch of people on set. So your animation is definitely something that you're going to continue to see as being important across all streaming platforms and across uh, networks as well uh, because of the uh, because of the pandemic. So if this show had started today, it would have found a home. And it probably would have had 10 seasons and maybe it would have even ended up being like a Bob's Burgers where it just it finds enough of an audience to where it it ends up being on the air for 12 seasons or something like that. Like Bob's Burgers right now is in its 11th season. I And I'm, I'm thinking about this maybe because I just saw Spider-Man uh, No Way Home before recording this, but I think about how you see now that. J. Jonah Jameson goes from like this big newspaper outfit to like more of like an Alex Jones type host in his own home. And I think there is something to explore with like the critic trying to find his way in this new different world, like a television reviewer, like that's not a thing anymore. So like, how does Jay adapt? Do people even give a crap? Uh, that would, I think, uh, there's something there. Would it be a whole like another 13 episode run? Nah, maybe not, but I don't know. Maybe like a, a mini movie or a six episode thing. Could be could be kind of interesting. They should do a Jay Sherman podcast. God, can you imagine? <laughs> that I actually, mean, be- man, if, if they did like earnest movie reviews with John Lovitz as Jay Sherman and did it as a podcast, I feel like I'd be into it. That That's not the worst idea we've ever come up with, at least. Way worse ideas for sure. All right, Kevin, you are going to take over hosting duties next month. So tell us what we're talking about. So we are going back to Judd Apatow. Where do you go after high school and freaks and geeks? You go to college with the Fox television series Undeclared aired, I believe, 2001 and 2002. It ran for one season. Um, oh, it's a, And it's very different from freaks and geeks in that this is a half hour comedy. I watched this when it first aired and really enjoyed it. And I remember... It's one of those shows that I enjoyed. It went away. I kind of forgot about it. Then I got the DVD and I kind of fell in love all over again. I discovered, I believe you, Jerome, have not seen this show at all. No, this is the first time in a while where Kevin is going to be able to lord his knowledge over me uh, because this is a first time watch. Yeah. I've never seen, I've never even seen a clip of Undeclared. That's wild. So 
It used to be on Netflix and then it went away. But at the start of the pandemic, Judd Apatow posted all 17 episodes on YouTube under an account. It still stands to this day after two years of it being on YouTube. It's still there. And I don't I don't understand how that works legally or whatever, but it's all there. It's all in full. And uh, I will go ahead and I will link that playlist in this episode. So you can go to the comments, find the playlist and watch them all from there. And there is a. 18th episode that never aired it's basically like there's an a plot and b plot of episode two and the a plot is way different so a lot of the clips and stuff are the same but there is a it is worth watching because there's a huge guest star that is in that episode that uh, especially in 2022 is worth watching so that's also on youtube somewhere it's on that playlist but i'll, I'll get that as well and we'll watch that, and it'll be a, a breezier watch, a, a, a little bit more fulfilling, and we'll talk about that show and uh, what would have been in season two, according to, to Judd Apatow. So I'm pumped to talk about that uh, that show for sure in uh, in March. All right, so that is what we are going to be discussing next month. Make sure you go and support uh, Kevin and I's other projects. Kevin, is there any any adventure time coming up or no? The- there's a alleged Fiona and Cake show happening, but until then, no new Adventure Time. We've done all of the Cartoon Network run. We did all of Distant Lands. You can go and find that in the archives here on Enter the Real World. Listen to that uh, and all the other stuff I did there. But yeah, until that that comes to be, uh, nothing on that front. This is the only podcast I have, but if you want to read my wrestling writing, that's at kevin-ford.com or kford13.wordpress.com. It takes you to the same place. Covering New Japan and USA and then uh, whatever Ring of Honors stuff is doing in the meantime, in the interim before their their comeback in April. So that's where you can find all that stuff. But I know, Jerome, you've got other podcasts going on. Uh, Yes, make sure to go check out what Brian and I have been doing. Uh, We put some people into the superhero pantheon. Make sure you go and check that out. Uh, Some obvious names and some names that Brian and I definitely uh, argued about. Uh, You can also... Uh, Brian and I are going to be taking a look at the 1994 Fox Kids animated version of Spider-Man. And we're going to be reviewing two episodes per podcast episode. Uh, So that is going to be starting up next week, in fact, Kevin. So you got that to look forward to as well. uh, uh, You know, Matt and Mike have uh, explored the X-Men animated series a lot. Matt Waters, of course, does his write-ups, the Matt Signal, where he's relentlessly talked about Batman, the animated series and of course, Batman beyond. And because Mm -hmm. nothing ever dies anymore, Kevin, of course they've announced the audio reboot of Batman, the animated series. So just like with us in the uh, third season of party down, nothing ever really ends, Kevin, nothing ends. There's also been the comics of that, the movies, uh, you know, Batman animated is super beloved and, uh, all those voice actors, as far as I know, are still around. So uh, I think in an audio serial, whatever that is, is actually a pretty fun way to to keep that going. But I'm interested to hear what you guys think about uh, Spider-Man. I am so excited because Ven- or Venom is voiced by Hank Azaria. Hey, there we go. Always nice to have a little little crossover there uh, with with another one of our shows. Uh, I also- is, Ven- is Venom going to be drinking a beer? I don't know if Venom's drinking a beer, but we did not mention on the critic Bob Costas again. Bob Costas yes. made an appearance, he just sure like did. a Brockmeyer. 
uh, a much more pleasant experience, I think, on the critic. <laughs> uh, we also had a cameo by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was a writer on the fourth season of Veronica Mars, which I always have to remind myself of. That is still so strange that that was a thing. And the funny thing is that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is going to be a character in the upcoming HBO TV series uh, where Jason Segal is going to be uh, a coach. So it, it really all is just a big circle. I still just hope you guys will cover the Fantastic Four animated series at some point. That show is bad, Kevin. We are you, not covering You that. still need to cover it. It's it's a superhero thing. You're going to run out of content uh, eventually. <laughs> Kevin, have you seen superhero content lately? <laughs> would you would you do that or would you do the Snyder Cut first? I think I would do neither. That that's not that's you're no you're no fun. You're no fun. Don't 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 do this to me, Kevin. Don't do this to me. All right, wrap it up. Probably Snyder cut because it's less of a time commitment. Oh come on! (laughs) What are you gonna watch the Fantastic Four movies? All three of them. Well, I I have the I was gifted the first two, so that'll happen. But uh, I don't know about that 2015 one. Quote unquote gifted. Yes. All right, for Kevin, I'm Jerome. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. And for those of you wondering, yes, Jerome also does keep an emergency box of pudding under his desk at work.